0: Hello and welcome to Books and Stuff I Like, where I discuss books and, of course, Stuff I Like. Um, Today we have a restaurant review that could apply to anywhere, Um, a couple of books with, with no common theme, and we have a continuation of what I'm reading now. This last week, I went out during the week, and that's something I don't do too horribly often. Um, I had a reason to have a dinner. Now, I'll go out by myself. I, I don't see any qualms with that. Um, other people kind of do. It took me a while to get used to, admittedly, but if I want to go get a meal, I'm going to go get a meal. So restaurants are, have some kind of theme. I mean, most, even, even little diners are little diners. You're going to get some specific type of food. Um, and I don't know how authentic the food often is i think a lot of times if you can tell the people sitting around if they're of that ethnicity of that culture um maybe it's a good bet but you know if if i I think if if you go to a lot of uh, mexican places you know the, the the food's probably more authentic than maybe a lot of chinese places i think the um least authentic cultural food that we can get is probably a lot of Italian restaurants. I mean, I, I know all of this stuff is American Americanized Italian. I don't know what actual Italian food is. I've mentioned the Sopranos before. I want to eat whatever the heck they were eating on the Sopranos. And even I've done my research, you can go spend a lot of money for Italian food that essentially is the same thing that you're getting at Fizzoli's. And that's terrible. I do have a book. Um, I forget what it's called. It might just be called Italian Food or Food of Italy, something along those lines. It was written in the 50s or 60s. And for the longest time, it was the the quintessential book on Italian food. Um, It's now been replaced by the Internet. But I went to this little, or it's it's not little, I went to this Italian restaurant. I've been there a handful of times. It's terrible. It's gimmicky. It plays on every single stereotype. It's not a chain. It's just this one family who's been in this crappy little town forever. Um, And I mean, you get really Americanized dishes. I don't know why I keep going back there. Also, for what it is, I don't get why they can charge so much money for pasta. I mean, it's 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 flour, um, but they do, and everyone else does it, so I guess they're getting away with it. People like me are paying for it. What I'm okay with this restaurant is I don't think they're trying to be anything they're not. With all of the um, Godfather references inside the building... I don't think there's there's anything claiming to be Italian, which is fine. Um, the Olive Garden, when they say real Italian cooking or whatever the heck they say on their signs, that's I have a problem with that. But if, if you're just serving food and it happens to be pasta and you happen to have cannoli puns and godfather references all over the walls and your menu i mean more power to you just just have fun with what you're doing and i'm gonna keep showing up and paying money for terrible service the thing that got me um they were not busy when i was there and i'm gonna end real soon on this you could tell each waitress had a section and maybe they had 10 sections but they only needed two waitresses So everyone was still all cramped together in these little islands of people. It was, it was terrible. Um, but I mean, there I was paying money for it. So what have you, I had an Italian meal, the, the glutton for pasta and punishment in me loves these crappy little Italian meals. Alright, alright, alright. To get to the first book that we are discussing today, I've mentioned this a couple times, and I want to give it some some deeper attention. I am talking about Gravity's Rainbow by Thomas Pynchon. I don't even know where to start with this book. Let's start with Thomas Pynchon. He is a prolific author, has been writing for a very long time, is still alive. I double-checked, as of 10 minutes ago, Wikipedia says he is still alive. Um, he's interesting in the fact that nobody knows who he is. He doesn't make public appearances. Um, there's only a couple pictures of him that exist, and they're, they're old, old, old. So, um, he's a recluse a hardcore recluse, and, and he's been writing. and he's been that way for a long time. Thomas Pynchon could be your neighbor, um, could be anybody you know. I will admit I am not Thomas Pynchon. Um, and there's even been some fun things where people are saying, oh, that's just a pen name of so-and-so, which, who's to say that's not the case? Thomas Pynchon, in his infinite cuteness, has um, replied to some of those accusations saying, no, I'm, I'm not that person. I forget who he's been compared to. I can make some guesses now, but I don't want to look stupid if I'm way off. Um, but in the same vein as, as Guile's Goat Boy, when these academics were pushing the limits of what postmodernism can be, Thomas Pynchon kind of is part of that group. Gravity's Rainbow. I, I've read two books by Thomas Pynchon. And kind of like I've said before, I like to start at the beginning or close to the beginning and work my way through. I can't say I'm never going to read Thomas Pynchon again. I don't have any plans anytime soon. Um, he, he requires a good deal of investment of your time and energy and mental capabilities. Um, Gravity's Rainbow is a long book. It's a complicated book. It is tough to even say that it has a storyline. Um, I think I saw somewhere when I was trying to figure this out, there's about 400 characters in the book. Um, some characters just show up briefly. Some characters are don't really have names, or they have a couple names that's one of those. Some characters show up in the first 20 pages, And then for the next 600, aren't even mentioned. And then the last 20 pages are terribly important again. Um, and I use all those 20 pages loosely. I don't know what it exactly is. It's weird. I tried reading it just on a recommendation for the first time and I couldn't get through the first hundred pages. Um, I had better luck the, the second time. If, if this sounds interesting to you when we're done talking today and you go out and find it, I don't think you're going to have a lot of luck. Um, you don't, you don't choose to read Gravity's Rainbow. Gravity's Rainbow chooses to be read. What I would recommend with Thomas Pynchon is an earlier novel, very short called The Crying of Lot 49. Read that. Um, that's going to give you an idea of his writing style um the little it's really hard to explain it's good i appreciate it i loved gravity's rainbow when i could when i could invest that much of me into it um which is a wonderful thing to do with a book you you can't always do it you can't always give yourself up to something um but when you can and when something's ready to to invest that much of itself or themselves in you—that's a—that's a beautiful thing. But I would read the um, the crying of Lot, forty-nine, and if you like that, maybe wait for a time when Gravity's Rainbow is right for you. Now, one thing I, I will warn you: I don't think anybody in the history of the world—well, at least before ninety-six—well, that's that's sad. Um, There is a document that I got online. It's called some things that quote unquote happen. And then in parentheses, more or less in gravity's rainbow, it's a professor's reading guide of the book. You're going to need it. There is no way you can sit and read this book and make any sense of it without a reading guide, which is even, even more interesting. Why write a book that you can't read without a guide? Um, and I mean, certainly people do read this book without a guide. I couldn't, and I'm, I'm telling anybody listening to this, I don't think a person can. You would, you would really have to be some kind of superhuman genius, which, which goes back to the fact that a single person, um, assuming that Thomas Pynchon is a single person, we don't really know, could just sit down and create this. Um, it's just an amazing piece of American art. I highly recommend it for people who should have it recommended to them. And I know that doesn't help, but um maybe just start with the crying of lot forty-nine. Um the, the actual plot, it's a World War II book. Um using that term loosely. So if that's something that that interests you, um maybe give it a gander. So for how dense and complicated and off-putting, that might be an adjective for it, that gravity's rainbow is, we're going to go on now to something completely different. And that's Richard Brodigan's Trout Fishing in America. I had an instance this week where there was a book with a misleading title that somebody bought thinking it would be about one thing, but it ended up being <laughs> completely different and it made me think of Trout Fishing in America. This book has thrown many people off, myself included, um, because I kept seeing this recommended. And I was thinking, I I don't do not want to read a field guide about trout fishing in America. Um And I know it has thrown other people off who were looking for a field guide about trout fishing in America and picked up Richard Brodigan's collection of loosely related short stories and were sorely disappointed. Um, Going into this book, I thought at worst it was going to be a literal book about trout fishing in America. And at best, I thought it was going to be something like, um, a Walden or Leaves of Grass, um, a, a, a very introspective existential, um, reflection about a person's time trout fishing in America, which would be a great book that I would just be all up over. That's what I was expecting going into this a few years ago. But this book, while it does discuss trout fishing in America in more ways, shapes, and forms than you can imagine, isn't about trout fishing in America. This is the most hippy dippiest book I have ever read. It's wonderful. If you're doing the whole angsty hippy dippy book thing, um, the Kerouacs, the Vonnegut's, um, the whole one flew over the cuckoo's nest, the counterculture, um, naked lunch type of deal. This is the required reading in that canon. Again, it's, it's interrelated short stories. It's light, it's airy. The language is something that you've, you've probably never really come across. It just needs to be a part of that canon and you don't hear so much about it. And there may be a few reasons for that. One thing, I had heard about this book forever and just didn't pick it up because of the misleading-ish title. That's one thing. Another thing, um, to get back to our whole Age Like Milk theme, Richard Brodigan is a troubling individual. Um, he had, I don't know where to start with this, um, Nothing he did was excusable um he had i i and i i don't so let's start with the mental health issues because that that may have been the catalyst um for a lot of things he did mental health issues he did end up committing suicide um drinking issues, and also had issues with women particularly violence towards them. So, I don't know if we take all three of those in a group, all three individually, but um you, you, we we certainly have to have to consider that when reading him now. Some of his other works, he, he wrote prose and poetry. I've read a lot of it. It's I I read it until I decided I had enough. Um, You may have enough with trout fishing in America. You may want to explore more. Some of his treatment towards women isn't great. And that's just, that's an unfortunate thing from a lot of literature, a lot of the world in the last few thousand years, which is unfortunate. He spent his time between The U.S. and Japan, which is kind of kind of interesting. His poetry is good, um, but trout fishing in America. I think we we can't ignore the um, issues in the author's life, but I don't think that necessarily means that the work has to be forgotten forever in time. So, if that angsty hippy dippy type reading is is in your style, I would. Highly recommend trout fishing in America. Now on to what I'm reading now. Um, I have a couple comics that I've been reading. I'll uh, probably discuss those later. Um, the nonfiction hasn't changed much. I haven't had a whole lot of time, and I, I've been reading a lot of Dune. And like I mentioned last week, that that has a lot of mass and not a lot of density, or so I thought. Um, I'm about halfway through with Dune now. I had my whole, I, I was already, and I mentioned Duke, Lido, Leto, Leto, um, I was already just to be super intrigued by that character. Um, some things change. Um, and And I was, I complimented Dune because it wasn't you know, nobody was fi- firing lasers off her of rocket ships. I think now halfway through that book, I kind of want somebody to fire a laser off a rocket ship. Um, it's it's getting kind of dense and the whole political explanation of things is getting a little much. I feel like now I'm, I'm getting into a turning point where the plot is going to be moving a little bit. Um, the authors just i think trying to set things up it's i don't read a lot of sci-fi and fantasy i i never have and i've 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 tried it a few other times in my life and just never never really got into it i i want to like it it's interesting because there's a lot of it which wasn't good or was good and not great because there was a market to mass produce it. And I'm just saying that as, as, as objectively as I can. It's similar to, um, I think spy thrillers where the Dean Koontz and the Stephen Kings, I know it's not spy thrillers, but stay with me as long as they can keep keep publishing they can they can keep selling because there's a market and I think sci-fi is like that. I think there there definitely is literary value in sci-fi and fantasy and I think dune is is definitely a good book but a lot of this genre of things that are that that have a, a high market appeal um, isn't as polished as it could be and I say that as objectively as I can, again, I I want to like all of this. I'm even, I'm even have books on my list that I'm staring at right now that I've, I've tried reading before and really want to give them an objective shot again. Um, because I, I know how much people like these and I want, I want to, I think it would be great to like something that much. Um, so Dune is, is a little bit more of a trudge now, but uh, I, I think it's still just a great, I, I think it's it's still going to end up being very much worth my time. So I think that's it for this week's basil podcast. Um, as always, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Reddit. If you have any questions, comments, ideas, um, things you would you would like me to read, or I'm always down for recommendations. Just please let me know. Until next week, then.